Well, we continue tonight our study of redemption accomplished and applied, and we are going to continue on with part two as we finish up the doctrine of sanctification. Um, There's a sense in which sanctification has a unique importance to it because it really does encompass the totality of the Christian life. It, it It is an act in the Ordo Salutis that begins at regeneration but continues all throughout the Christian life. And so for that reason, there's a lot for us to consider when it comes to the doctrine of sanctification. Uh, Last time, we we considered the first two headings of the doctrine of sanctification, which the first one was the presuppositions of sanctification. And we noted that those presuppositions were the previous acts in the Ordo. So uh, for us to consider sanctification, rightly, we must presuppose that the person we are talking about has already received regeneration and justification, right? Uh, So those are the major presuppositions of sanctification. But then we looked at the concern of sanctification. What is sanctification? What is being accomplished in sanctification? And we saw that the concern of sanctification is Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. And there's kind of two avenues or two angles that you could look at this from. You could say, well, the concern of sanctification is to make you more like Jesus. Or you could say, the concern of sanctification is to put to death your indwelling sin. Uh, But both of those are mutual uh, acts within the, the process of sanctification. The more you become like Christ, the more your indwelling sin will be put to death. And the more your indwelling sin is put to death the more you will start to resemble the sinless one, right? So that's the concern of sanctification. But tonight, we're going to look at the last two points, and uh, those are the agent and the means of sanctification. The agent and the means of sanctification. Now, when we speak of the agent of sanctification, we are referring to who or what does the work of sanctification in the life of the believer? To be more precise, we are asking the question, is sanctification the work of God, the work of man, or is it a combination of both? Well, there's a very helpful verse in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that really gives us a pretty definitive answer to this question. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse provides us with a clear answer to the question, Who is the agent of sanctification? The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that it is God himself who sanctifies us. Mm -hmm. We do not sanctify ourselves any more than we justify ourselves or any more than we convert ourselves or any more than we regenerated ourselves. Sanctification is ultimately the act of God. Specifically, Specifically, sanctification is the work of the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Spirit of God. John Murray speaks 
of the energizing activity of the Spirit. And he notes that it is the Holy Spirit specifically that is the agent of our sanctification. And Murray gives us in his book, he gives us three considerations to keep in mind as it pertains to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let me give you these three things to consider as we talk about the the Holy Spirit as the one who sanctifies us in the Christian life. Number one, the mode of the Spirit's operation in sanctification is encompassed with mystery. The mode of the Spirit's operation in sanctification is encompassed with mystery. That it is the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us is clear, but just how he does this work is mysterious. How does the Holy Spirit take up residence in our hearts? Explain that for me. How the Holy Spirit dwells in you. How does this indwelling work out a continual effect on our mind and our wills and our affections and our bodies? Well, it's a mysterious act. We can't explain exactly how the Holy Spirit does this. We must come to grips with the reality that there is a mysterious element to the Spirit's work in our lives that we simply cannot explain. But even if we can't fully explain how the Spirit works, we can be confident that it is indeed the Spirit who works within us. I love the the words of that hymn, I know not how the Spirit moves, convicting men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. So, number one, the mode of the Spirit's operation in sanctification is encompassed with mystery. Number two, it is imperative that we realize our complete dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Since it is the Spirit who sanctifies, it is the Spirit upon whom we must rely. Part of the Spirit's work in sanctification is that very thing making us aware of our desperate weakness and our utter inability to improve ourselves on our own. Part of what it means for the Holy Spirit to sanctify us is to make us aware of just how weak we are. When we fail to rely on the Spirit, our attempts to sanctify ourselves actually become the great hindrances to our sanctification. When we fail to rely on the Spirit, our attempts to sanctify ourselves become the hindrance to our sanctification. Let me, let me explain. Well, if you think that your sanctification is dependent upon the things you do, and so you make this long list of all these works that you're going to perform to sanctify yourself without depending on the power of the Holy Spirit, all you will do is create a list of your own self-righteousness and your self-righteousness will cause you to despair because you will never sanctify yourself through the will of the flesh. So if you think that, well, I'm going to read my Bible 17 chapters a day and I'm going to pray for three hours and I'm going to go to church three times a week and I'm going to give $500 every Sunday and I'm going to do all of these things And if I do them, I'll be sanctified. All you're going to find is that you'll never be sanctified through this performance of deeds. All you'll do is increase your own self-righteousness 
You'll become like Martin Luther before his conversion, beating yourself and tormenting yourself in a vain attempt to make yourself more holy, but it will never work because you're not depending upon the Holy Spirit. John Murray says, quote, It is by grace that we are saved, as surely as by grace we have been saved. If we are not keenly sensitive to our own helplessness, then we can make the use of the means of sanctification the minister of self-righteousness and pride and thus defeat the end of sanctification. As we will see in a moment, our sanctification does encompass the good works that we perform as Christians. They, they do factor into our sanctification. But listen very carefully, those works must never be trusted in as having the power to sanctify in and of themselves. You know, someone asked the question, well, will I be sanctified if I read my Bible? How do you answer that question? Well, that depends. Not if you don't read your Bible with a heart of faith. Not if you read your Bible with the attitude that reading Scripture is a work that you must force yourself to perform in order to sanctify yourself. If that's your approach to Scripture, it will not sanctify you. Sanctification does occur, though, when you read your Bible, trusting in the Spirit to make the Word of God effectual in your life. The difference is this. One attitude says, if I do this, then I will be sanctified. But the other attitude says, this is a means through which God the Holy Spirit does the work of sanctification. Right? You understand the difference between saying, this is a work, and if I perform this work, I'll be sanctified, and having the attitude that says, this is one of the tools that the Spirit will use to sanctify me, and if I approach it with that heart of faith, the Spirit can use it in my life. The same would apply to prayer or church attendance or any of the other means that we'll talk about in a moment. So when it comes to sanctification, I would encourage and exhort you to embrace your own weakness, to confess your inability to improve yourself and grow yourself in holiness. You can't do this on your own. You must trust completely in the power of of the Holy Spirit at work in you to perform the work of sanctification. That's number two. The third consideration. It is as the Spirit of Christ and as the Spirit of Him who raised up Christ from the dead that the Holy Spirit sanctifies. So we, we, we've said that the Holy Spirit specifically is the agent of our sanctification, but, but it is only the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ, as the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, this is to say that the Holy Spirit is never at work in us apart from our union with Christ, and that the Spirit's work of sanctification is by virtue of our resurrected Lord. It is because Jesus died for us and rose again the third day, and ascended to heaven in a glorified body that the Spirit sanctifies us. It's because He died for us. So you're justified because He died for you. You're sanctified because He died for you. Paul spells this out very clearly for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 17 and 18. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, the Bible says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see that, that it is the Spirit of God who reflects and reveals the glories of the resurrected Christ, and by showing us the glories of Christ, he conforms us and transforms us into that very same image. The Spirit of the resurrected, glorified, and ascended Lord is the one who does this work of transformation within us. John Murray says, It is apparent that the sanctifying work of the Spirit not only consists in progressive confirmation to the image of Christ, but is also dependent upon the activity of the exalted Lord. He goes on to say, It is the peculiar prerogative and function of the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ by taking the things of Christ and showing them unto the people of God. So, when we talk about the application of redemption, we, we oftentimes will emphasize, well, this is primarily something God the Father does. What is something in the Ordo Salutis that's primarily something the Father does? Well, with the doctrine of election, right? It's primarily the work of the Father, but he, he doesn't do it independently from the Son and the Spirit, right? And uh, you could say that, that the atonement and the accomplishment of redemption is not the atonement primarily the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it was the Son of God who died on the cross. But even the atonement was not executed by the Son independently from the Father and the Spirit. So too with the application of redemption, even though they're primarily things that the Spirit is doing, the Spirit is not doing them independently from the Father and the Son. And so when it comes to sanctification, we must see that, yes, it is the Spirit who sanctifies, but He does it by showing us, revealing to us, the image of the glorious, resurrected, and ascended Lord Jesus. It is the peculiar prerogative and function of the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ by taking the things of Christ and showing them unto the people of God. And let me just ask, um, is the Holy Spirit at work in your life showing you more about Jesus? That, if the answer is no, then you're not being sanctified. That's what sanctification is, the Holy Spirit showing you more about Jesus, revealing to you more about Jesus through the Word of God, through the preaching of the Word of God, through the means of grace. So that's the agent of sanctification. Primarily, it is the Holy Spirit. But now let's talk about means, the means of sanctification. We've established that the Holy Spirit is the agent in our sanctification. He is the one who does the work, sanctifies believers. But when we talk about the means, we're seeking to identify what tools the Holy Spirit uses to accomplish this work. Um, he does not just zap you from heaven with sanctifying grace. That's not how God works in your life. It's not that you just... Uh, it's not that you just wake up in the morning and breathe air and... Uh, and drink water and somehow, mysteriously and miraculously, you're sanctified. No. 
He uses means. He uses means. Well, I'm going to enumerate a few of those tools, those means of sanctification. But first, I want to address with you a more preliminary question. Okay? And it's a bit of a theological question. It's a question pertaining to the relationship between the Spirit's work and our work in sanctification. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had a pastor friend that, that sent me a text message asking this specific question. And I said, well, brother, I'll give you a short answer. But in a couple weeks, I'm actually going to teach on this and give a really full answer. So, uh, unfortunately, I told him you'll have to wait. <laughs> but here's the answer to this question. What is the relationship between the work of the Spirit and our work in sanctification? Okay, We have affirmed that the work of sanctification is chiefly the work of the Spirit. And we have affirmed that our works are never to be trusted in or relied upon in and of themselves to accomplish the work of sanctification. But we must also affirm that we are not entirely passive in sanctification in the same way that we're passive in regeneration and justification. What do you contribute to your regeneration and your justification? Nothing. Nothing. But when it comes to sanctification, your works do factor into the equation of sanctification. As one theologian put it, in sanctification, we are utterly dependent yet we are intensely active. Utterly dependent, yet intensely active. What is the relationship between this utter dependence and this intense action? To ask the question in a more theological way, is sanctification monergistic or synergistic? Some of you may be familiar with those terms, but monergism comes from a Greek compound word that means to work alone. Monergism, and I'll, I'll break the words down here. So you have monergism, which means to work alone. And then you have synergism, which means to work together. And you can see that in the etymology of the word, you have jism, right? Uh, which simply just means to work. And then mono, right? Mono, which means one or alone. One or alone. And then you have synergism, sin, which means together. Other words like synonym or synergy, right? When, when something has, when two things have synergy, they, they have harmony, they work together, right? So you have monergism and synergism. And these are actually very important theological words when it comes to the doctrine of salvation. We affirm, this is really a cardinal distinctive of Reformed theology, we affirm that salvation is monergistic. That is, it is God who saves. It's not synergistic, it's not we do our part, and God does his part, and we work together, and God's, we get saved that way, you know? No, it's monergistic. But what about sanctification? What about sanctification? Is sanctification monergistic or synergistic? Well, there's a problem here. Because if you say that sanctification is monergistic in the same way that justification is monergistic or regeneration is monergistic, 
then you leave no place whatsoever for our works in the process of sanctification. If you say, however, on the other hand, that sanctification is synergistic, then you elevate our works to a position of equal causality with the workings of the Holy Spirit. Are you tracking with me? So if you say it's monergistic, then your works have no part. But if you say it's synergistic, then your works have an equal importance with the works of the Holy Spirit. But sanctification can't be thought of in either of these two ways. It would be nice if we could neatly place sanctification in one of these two categories. But the most accurate and biblical assessment is to affirm, I believe, that sanctification really can't be understood as either monergistic or synergistic. And here's why. Because the unique relationship between God's work and our work in sanctification is a causal relationship. It is a relationship of causality. Causality. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that we work in sanctification because God works in us. Our works are necessary in sanctification, but they are only necessary because they are necessary products of God's work in us. Now, let me show you this biblically. I, I, I think the clearest place to show this to you biblically is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice this in verse 13. So he just commanded us to work in our salvation. <laughs> notice verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So work out your salvation, for it's God that works in you. One causes the other. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. He says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Now, that's a, that's a very dangerous statement to make, right, as a Christian? I mean, if somebody came to church on Sunday and said, hey, I, am, I work harder than every other Christian, we might think, who does this guy think he is? But notice what Paul says. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul says, did I work in the Christian life? You better believe it. Did I work in ministry? You better believe it. But only because God was working in me. His grace was with me. We work because God works. Let me give you an analogy that that's really hits home with me. <laughs> and that's the work of preparing a sermon or preparing a lesson. When I go into my study, I better be utterly dependent upon the Spirit of God. I better have the, the attitude and the mindset that if God doesn't illuminate my mind and bless me, I will not be able to minister to the people of God. I, I must not trust in my theological education 
my studies, my, my work, the hours I spend in the chair, I can't trust in any of that. And I, I think I've said it publicly from the pulpit, but one of the things that I was convicted of uh, here a while back was the thought, how many times have I quenched the spirit in the pulpit because I'm trusting in my manuscript or my studies or my education or my knowledge and not trusting in the spirit? I believe preachers do that. Every Sunday, <laughs> all over. I, I have been guilty of that. So I must be utterly dependent on the Spirit, but I also must be intensely active, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't just say, sermon prep? Oh no, I don't do any sermon prep. I just trust the Spirit. I don't even think about what I'm going to preach until Sunday morning after we sing some hymns and I get in the pulpit and I just say, okay, Lord, what am I going to preach? And I just open my Bible to a random page and let her rip, you know? Well, if I did that, I I hope you would send me on my way and call someone else who is actually diligent to do the work of a pastor, right? And even in preaching, you must be active in preaching, right? Um, So does that help you to understand the relationship between an utter dependence upon God at work in you, but also intense action on your part? So that's the way it is in your sanctification, You don't accomplish your sanctification through your works, but the Holy Spirit does. Mm Does that make sense? You don't accomplish sanctification through your works, but the Holy Spirit does through your works. Through through your works in the Christian life, the Holy Spirit uses them to conform and transform you. Well, what are some of these specific means? We've talked about the, the idea of means. Let me just very quickly give you a few of them. I don't have room. I guess I could put them up here on the board. Number one, and this is the primary the primary uh, means of sanctification, is of course the Word of God. The Word of God. Nothing, 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 nothing will transform you and grow you in the Christian faith like a healthy diet of the Word of God. And when I say that, I don't just mean reading your Bible a lot. I mean receiving the Word of God in all of the various ways that God has allowed us to be able to receive it. Through reading in private, through reading in public, through the... the I, I, would, I would care to venture that the primary means of sanctification is the preaching of the Word of God. And that, that is one of the ways in which we receive God's Word. You need to read it in private, You need to read it in public, meaning corporately as a church. We need to be reading the scriptures. And we need to be preaching the scriptures. We need to be teaching the scriptures. right? We need to do everything through the lens of the word of God. You say, where where do we find this in in the Bible? John 17 and verse 17. Jesus is prayer for his people. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What a prayer. Jesus praying to the Father, saying, Father, sanctify them. Use your word to sanctify them. It's God who does it, but he does it by the truth of the word. Well, secondly, second means is that of prayer. That of prayer. Jesus says in Matthew 26 and verse 41, he says, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Prayer is one of the chief means that God uses to conform his will, to keep us from sin, and to grow us in true holiness. John Bunyan said, 
Prayer will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from prayer. <laughs> and, of course, prayer is one of the, the chief means of our sanctification. Thirdly, though, and you realize I could put many more, Christian fellowship is a means of sanctification. Um, brotherly love is a means of sanctification. Um, but thirdly, I'll mention kind of an overarching one, and that is the church. And when I say that, I mean the local, visible New Testament church that meets together. The church is a chief means of your sanctification. Jesus, speaking through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 and verse 25, says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself for her that he might, listen, sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that he should be holy that she should be holy and without blemish now you say well brother the church is just made up of individuals absolutely it is but he didn't say individuals he said the church so that tells me that there is a special work of sanctification that happens within the context of the church. And if you're not a part of the church, you miss out on this special uh, work of sanctification. How many, uh, how many times have we seen someone who is truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they, they do have faith in Christ, but either they're in a very unhealthy on biblical church or they're in no church at all and their growth in the faith is severely stunted because of that. They will go for years and years and years just on the, the bare milk of the word of God because they've not attached themselves to the body of Christ in which this work of, of real organic corporate sanctification takes place. So we see, we see here that the church is one of the means of sanctification. And one of the reasons why that is, is because it is in the church that Jesus has placed all of the other means of grace. Uh, we could talk about baptism. We could talk about the Lord's Supper. We've already talked about the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, if you're not attached to a local church, you will have severe challenges in your prayer life. <laughs> Who's going to pray for you? Who are you going to pray for? Who will you pray with? Right? Um, so we see here that, they, and they, again, these are not the only. These are just three that, that really cover a lot of ground for our lesson tonight. But I just want you to understand that it is the Holy Spirit who sanctifies, but he uses these tools to sanctify. The, one of the worst things you could do is to trust in these tools as the end in and of themselves. Merely reading your Bible will not sanctify you. Just waking up and saying some prayers, repeating some prayers, will not sanctify you. Just coming and sitting on a church pew will not sanctify you. But sanctification will occur when the Holy Spirit uses these means to draw us closer to Christ and to reveal to us more about our Lord Jesus and conform us into His image. Well, as I stated last week in part one of this lesson on sanctification... Uh, this is certainly not an exhaustive study. 
much more could be said about the work of sanctification in the life of the believer. For most all of these acts in the Ordo Salutis, we could do multi-part series on any one of them. But I do believe that we've received a, a thorough overview of this doctrine as we have considered the presuppositions, the concern, the agent, and the means of sanctification. And let me leave you with, with two, uh, what I hope are two practical effects on the Christian life. So, you know, you look at words like monergism and synergism, and we talk about means of grace and all of these things. How does this study practically affect us as we live the Christian life? Well, number one, I hope the doctrine of sanctification gives you a greater desire to boldly pursue holiness in the Christian life. I hope that as you see how it is that God sanctifies, you, you are emboldened to pursue holiness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. God wills for you to be sanctified. And the Holy Spirit is at work to sanctify you. Therefore, pursue practical holiness in the Christian life, trusting that your sanctification is something that God desires and has given the power to be accomplished. But secondly, I hope that the doctrine of sanctification causes you to praise God not only for your redemption from the penalty of sin, but also, but also for your redemption from the power of sin. Praise God we're not going to hell. Praise God that we're not going to face the wrath of God. Praise God that on judgment day we will be accepted and received into glory. But we've got even more to praise God for. Right here, right now. Aren't you glad that when God saved you, He didn't leave you the way He found you? Aren't you glad that He began the work of cleaning you off and making you beautiful in the eyes of Jesus Christ? Do you, do you, I know that, that we as Christians, especially in contexts like ours where the doctrine of total depravity and indwelling sin is often preached on, but do you realize that you are by grace and by sanctification, you are beautiful in the eyes of Jesus Christ. You're His bride. And Jesus doesn't have an ugly bride. He makes sure that he has a beautiful bride because he himself cleans her and washes her and renews her. Praise God that by sanctifying grace, we are being made more like the Lord Jesus every day. It's like our growth in the faith is much like our growth in, in natural things. You know, I don't see every morning... Today's Wednesday, Thursday morning, tomorrow morning, I won't see John growing and getting bigger. But as I, as I look at him over the span of months, I see tremendous growth. So it is in your sanctification. Don't be discouraged if you do something on Friday that makes you feel less holy than you were on Wednesday. <laughs> But try to look at your Christian life from this big picture perspective and look over the last few months of your life or few years of your life, however long you've been walking with the Lord, 
And be encouraged because if you're a Christian, if you are a true Christian and you look over the course of the last few months or the last few years, if you're a true Christian, you will see growth. You will see sanctification. Some of that sanctification might be new struggles with sin that you weren't even aware of before. So don't let that discourage you either. Say, well, I'm growing in sanctification, but now all of a sudden I'm bothered by this sin that I didn't used to be bothered by. Praise God for that, that he's revealing that to you, right? As long as we live, God will be at work in us until the day we pass from death to life. Our sanctification will come to an end and God's work of transformation will be made complete in our glorification. That is the doctrine of sanctification.